It's not recording. Oh, good morning. I didn't know we're live. <laughs> good morning, Dean and Suraj. Sorry, we had some technical difficulty. My guys are trying to uh, get this camera on. But uh, all right. Well, hope you guys are safe and well. Almost everybody I know is. Uh, got the new virus luckily it's not as bad and nobody i know end up in the hospital so that's a that's a good news uh, i myself had the virus i tested negative yesterday so i'm out of the woods i still gotta wear my mask but uh hope you guys are careful and uh my doctor was saying this virus is 100 times more contagious than the delta variant so that's pretty eye-opening 100 times is uh pretty big number um, and it's uh, you know it's very much airborne and even if you walk uh, by somebody and uh, you could easily catch it anyhow um, hope you're safe and well this week we have uh, quite a few questions and given we have a limited time so I'm going to get going soon on your questions and wanted to uh, give you guys a few seconds to hop on and looks like we got Kevin at Cress and Michael, uh, good morning, you all. All right, let's get going. So the first question today uh, we have from Suraj. If you're buying any property, residential or commercial or large, uh, small or large, do you always recommend checking it out during the due diligence period? Um, or do you rely on the website, LoopNet, uh, and the OM packages, as well as other reports like inspection, termite reports, and your own research, along with relate uh, realtor discussions that happen during due diligence and move forward on the property without going to seeing it in person. N absolutely not. I have bought some properties without looking at it, but uh, compared to my net worth, that was a very small, uh, negligible amount of risk. But for you guys, you should absolutely go and walk the property before you buy it especially during your due diligence before you go hard on your deposit. Um, you know, it gives you a lot of feeling about the property, the neighborhood, talking to tenants. Uh, these are things you can pick up that you cannot pick up from uh, looking at a paper uh, or report on the property. Uh, Suraj's next question is, I know you mentioned the last uh, on the last live call to have three to $5 million umbrella policy and I guess there is no formula and is an individualized and personal decision. Uh, but if the overall, your net worth is much higher than 5 million, would, it, would you recommend matching the umbrella amount to your net worth or higher or lower? Absolutely, this is obviously relevant <laughs> to your net worth. Uh, if you got $200 million net worth, uh, 5 million is very uh, insufficient. Uh, when what happens is if somebody has a significant injury, uh, the attorney is going to look up who they're going after. If you got hundred million dollar purse, they're not going to come sue you for five million. So it's very much relevant. Yes, um, and that's something you should uh, talk to your estate attorney uh, and also your insurance broker, and they can kind of guide you a bit more. Of course, they always want to sell you higher policy because they get bigger commission 
but typically you you know 25 to 30 million dollar umbrella uh, you know most lawsuits are not going to go over that unless it's a very very uh, gross negligent on uh, the property owner's part that caused death or you know or something similar all right next one from suraj his last question is if the seller is quite slow during the due diligence period in providing material documents but is a nice commercial property meeting multiple criteria for investment, then what sort of a strategy would you suggest, like reducing the price as a threat or just recommend pulling out of the real estate altogether? Um, well, you know, what works is always sending a notice to seller to perform. If they're supposed to provide you due diligence material within a certain time, or sometimes if the purchase contract is poorly written, and doesn't have a deadline for seller to provide then what i would suggest is sending a notice through escrow uh, to the seller to perform and provide the outstanding conditions uh, or documents and or you will terminate by such date that usually works all right all right let's move on to arthur if you have a five hundred thousand dollar down payment today what type of commercial real estate would you consider investing in southern california um, five hundred thousand doesn't get you much, Arthur. But I would look for a small neighborhood center. Um, it's you know one that you could probably uh, you know visualize adding the value. If it's you know the building looks tired, it's got some vacancy, and it's owned by the same owner for many many years, uh, and it's price per pound type of deal, not six hundred bucks a foot. Um, and if you can find something small like that, neighborhood center, retail center that tailors to the community. Those are ones that are low risk in this given environment we're in. Um, and also one that you could not get hurt if we do have a recession, okay? All right. I think he has one more. Um, all right. Uh, would you use your LLC to buy the home you live in? If so, what tax benefits you're aware of? Nope. Uh, I, Check with your attorney and CPA, but it's never recommended from what I'm told to own your primary residence in an entity. Um, first of all, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you don't get the home exemption. As if your principal residence, you do have some uh, protections. You know, there's homestead. There's also home homeowner's exemption. So certain estates are different. And you want to make sure you check with your uh cpa and and your attorney uh in which state you reside if it's california i'm told it's always good to hold it in your trust or your personal name but not an llc uh, okay last question in the course you mentioned you would look out for properties that are on discount for example 30 percent discount what main elements determine the property on discount oh price per foot discount means price per foot what the amount of dollars you're paying for a property versus the amount of dollars somebody else just sold it for. So uh, it has to be like-kind property, similar. And when I say similar in terms of similar occupancy, year build, uh, construction quality. Okay, I'm not comparing a wood stucco to a story office to a six-story glass and steel construction uh, building. That's apples and oranges. Uh, next from Henry, 
I know you see a smaller deals that fit your criteria, but don't have enough meat on the bone uh, for, for you. Are you open to giving the group referrals or at least examples of the deals that have six figures potential that you're not interested in? Deals with 100 to 500,000 potential that we should be on the look for. Um, I would love to do that, Henry, but I get so much in my deal flow and anything under 5 million bucks, I typically don't even look at it uh, or read the details. But if I do come across uh, some deals that uh, are a value add, uh, I would absolutely share with the group. So I'll keep my eyes and ears open on that. I saw the deal you had was built in 1977. I know it's a stretch, but it makes me think of plenty of deals that are in historic towns like Richmond, Virginia, that I'm thinking of investing in, as there are a lot of uh, lots and lots of historic buildings that were built over 150 years ago that have historic value that has been updated in the past 10, 15 years. But most importantly, uh, have great bones and are structurally sound. What are your thoughts on these type of buildings? Um, Henry, I would stay away from historic buildings unless you're going to develop it uh, or do a modification or a conversion uh, into like residential or substantially improve it. Uh, the problem with historic buildings are, one, uh, you don't have a lot of parking. These are typically in your central business district, downtown. Uh, low ceiling heights, uh, often have very old plumbing and electrical. Um, and lastly, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do to the building. Uh, if it's historic, a lot of them have restrictions by the city that you cannot modify the exterior because uh, they're a historic building. They're protected in some cases, but in some cities. Um, I just don't like old buildings. I'd rather go out and buy something that's got a lot of land. And historic buildings don't come with a lot of land. Um, all right, next one from Henry. I have a goal of two to three value add deals this year. I have 500,000 liquid to invest. My market uh, presents a unique opportunity as we have $1 billion in hospital expansion happening within the next five to eight years, bringing tons of jobs and obviously raising the prices of homes in the surrounding area. What opportunities would you look for? The hospital is buying land and buildings in the surrounding area to continue the expansion. Well, that's a fantastic uh, information to know. Um, I mean, what would I buy if there is a hospital injecting a billion dollars in my city? Um, I would still look for, you know, a small retail centers that have a low FAR. FAR is floor area ratio. That means your floor ratio versus your land is low. That means you have much bigger land than your rentable square foot, those tend to uh, do very good for redevelopment. And if there is in the next 10 years, there's a lot of development in your city, you wanna buy land, right? But you wanna buy land that you can leverage and the way to leverage it, you need income. So that's why I like, you know, uh, retail centers with a good land ratio or low FAR. Um, all right, last question. Can you explain the SBA financing that you got in your book and how we can do the same. Uh, my first SBA loan, I've got SBA loan twice. My first one was in, I think, year 2000 at the retail center. Back then, I uh, owned and operated a grocery store, uh, which I had sold. And I found a property that was two blocks away from my former store, and I qualified for SBA loan. Uh, 
as it, as it was a vacant retail uh, center. And that's uh, how I ended up doing the SBA on the first street property. And subsequently, I sold that, made a million dollars on it. And then I got my second SBA loan on this building that you guys see. Uh, I bought this for, I believe, 3.1 or 3.3 in 2011. And I got a 90% loan from SBA as I occupied it. And uh, so basically, SBA loan, Henry, is if you own a business and you qualify to get government financing, which is SBA, Small Business Administration, to occupy 50% or more of a real estate building, commercial property. It doesn't apply to homes. It has to be commercial property. And uh, so uh, if you're self-employed, you potentially could use SBA financing. If you're not and you don't file tax returns under your business, you definitely will not qualify. So you can check with the lender. Uh, there's certain criteria you got to meet. All right, next one's from Serge. You said in the course to ramp up through the economic expansion after the trough. What does that look like to you in your business? And you expand on it a bit more. What steps do you take to ramp up and and then as you deleverage? Um, basically, you buy a property like this property. I'm going to use as an expansion uh, cycle sample. I bought this property for 3.1. In 2013, I refinanced it while we we're still going through the expansion, and I pulled out $2 million. Mind you, I only bought this with 330000 After I did the cash out refi, I bought several other properties. Shops at Home Depot was one, and a couple of other properties in, in Houston I purchased. They were all REOs, bank-owned or distressed. And uh, what does it mean to ramp up? Ramp up means keep cashing out refinance, uh, cash out refinance on your property, existing properties as you're adding value and keep doubling, tripling down and buying multiple distressed properties. And you continue doing this, ramping up your portfolio in the next two to three, four years until your market peaks uh, or gets near a peak. And that's when you deleverage, you start selling and reduce your exposure. Um, that's basically the process. Next one from Serge is bringing on investors for my first commercial property investment, raising capital for a down payment of dollars to $900,000. My two partners and I, not investing, will own 100% of the holding company and 51% of properties for putting the deals together. The other 49% of the property value will be divided among the investors based on shares they put down in cash. Their cash will be paid 6% interest while we hold. Then when the property is sold or refinanced, they will get the gains at that time. Is this a good investment structure or would you have any suggestions and or modifications? Um, very confused, Serge, on this one. I Typically, that's not how you know uh, partnerships are put together for real estate. But I would definitely have you consult an attorney uh, because... You know, if you don't, if you have a, a parent company on the real estate, but you're not putting any money and you're going to sell shares of the uh, separate LLC that's going to be your partner in your parent company, then they really don't own real estate. They own shares of uh, interest in the LLC. So this gets very confusing and potentially problematic if you're going to get a loan 
So definitely check with an attorney to set it up right way. Uh, you can always set it up in an LLC with all the members and then just have a distribution clause in there that you would divide or make distributions based on this formula that you're proposing. Um, all right, let's move on to Sean. Is there a general price per foot range to stay within when offering tenant improvements uh, dollars for a vacant retail space? Any rules or guidance to keep in mind? Sean, that's a very good question. Really, every property is different. Um, you know, a property that doesn't have uh, ceiling grid lights or restrooms, uh, I'm specifically talking about retail center, you know, your cost is going to run up much higher than one that's in a white box condition. And tenants typically on retail, they expect you to deliver the space in white shell condition. Uh, and white shell means flooring, paint, ceiling grid, and light, and a working bathroom that's ADA. Uh, if he has those, typically the tenant does their own TIs. If it's a credit tenant, they may ask you for uh, a specific dollar per foot, you know, 40, 50 bucks a foot. But how you calculate it, uh, since every deal is different, I like to break even on my lease, 25% of the lease term. So if it's a five-year lease, let's just say four-year lease, I like to break even after year one. So year one, I collect the rent from tenant, and by then I've recouped my leasing commission and TIs and any rent abatement, right? And then the next three years is all you know uh, profits, right? Minus your operating expenses. But So that's a formula I like to use. So use it backward, and that's how you can adjust the rental rate you're gonna to propose to the tenant, right? To make sure you don't go over that 25% break even. Uh, this is Kevin. Can you dive a little deeper into how the cost segregation method works when it comes to writing off investments, rental properties? I understand the bonus depreciation will start to decrease by 20% every year starting 2023 and will no longer be available by 2027. Can you give us an example with numbers? Um, Kevin, it's got a very complicated uh, process for me to explain to you on a live call, but I'm going to try to simplify it. When you buy a property, let's say for $5 million, and the assessed value of the land is a million, so you can depreciate the improvements, what we call leasehold improvements, which is $4 million, right? The land you can depreciate. So out of that $4 million, this a specific CPAs go out there and uh, appraise the property and break it down the four million into what is in a short term has a short term life and what has long term life. Long term life is your bones of the building, right? The structure, uh, maybe the roof is a new roof, it has twenty year life, but the remainder of improvements in there, which are your doors, windows, carpet, flooring, light fixtures, things of that nature that are part of the $4 million have a much shorter life span. So they'll go ahead, carve that out and apply a value to it and say out of the 4 million, you have about a million dollars that's uh, you know got a short life and you can go ahead, accelerate that and take the million dollars off in the year you bought the property. And that's what cost segregation is, is acceleration of depreciation and breaking down your improvements based on their life and it's very complicated and the cost segregation reports are usually 40 to 60 pages. I've seen them 100 pages long. So it's a very comprehensive report. That's why it costs a lot of money. Hope I explained that. And I hope you guys understood.
All right, next one's from Ryan. Let me see, am I done with? Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Ryan, I recently had some back and forth emails with some brokers looking for deals, and they are telling me that it's very unlikely to find these kind of deals. <laughs> but the criteria I'm looking for in this market, I'm being picky and using Manny's value add and below replacement cost approach. But they keep saying that any of these deals will be taken immediately by the, by the brokers and that the only way I would get them uh, is for a down market or a recession. Any suggestions and how I can expand my network to find deals where I can buy below replacement cost with value add criteria. I've been getting this response mostly in California. Maybe I need to look outside the, out of the state. Bingo. <laughs> yeah, um, it's obvious that uh, uh, those type of deals that I teach in my courses to you guys are value add deals and distressed, and they're often going to present themselves in a down market when the economy experience you know uh, goes under stress and properties become distressed. Uh, now, there are deals that fit the criteria out of a state, and I have traded multiple of those while I'm waiting for great deals in California. And even in California, there are you know distressed deals like the church building I bought. But it's true. It's extremely rare. And uh, like I said, they present themselves during recession and down cycle. So be patient if you do want to expand your, uh, you know, your horizon outside of California, you know, the states I like, again, Arizona, Texas, those two I really like, um, as long as it has a density, 70,000 population within three mile radius, and it has an average household income above $60,000. So you have that disposable income for your, re if it's retail, for their office, doesn't matter. It's just dictates higher rental rates, right? Uh, so yeah, look outside of California. Uh, all right, next one's from Jonas. Uh, when looking at the retail and office tenants, what trends are you seeing? What type, what tenants uh, in today's are looking for the, let me refresh that. When looking at retail and office tenants, what trends are you seeing in what tenants of today are looking for and how can you position your assets to be attractive to these tenants? Uh, that's a very hard question. Depends on what market, but overall, uh, larger tenants are pretty much absent. It's very small tenants for office and retail. I'm not saying any big, uh, you know, big bulk um, retail uh, trades uh, and the leasing activity. So I would suggest looking at neighborhood centers and a small two-story garden-style office if you guys want to uh, focus on. A stick to a smaller footprint properties. This is from Eden. If the rates rise in March, how long do you think it will uh, for the rates increase to impact the commercial real estate market? Well, uh, impact will be pretty immediate uh, in terms of the demand from the investor side to buy commercial properties because immediately lenders will tighten up uh, their rates and margins. So rates do tend to go up. As soon as rates go up, the lenders will increase their rates and that affects the demand for commercial real estate uh, and uh, residential. Uh, so it's more immediate. Um, if you're referring to uh, if it causes a recession or foreclosures, that is 18 to 24 month lag. 
uh, it's not immediate on that end. All right, watch take. How much does a cost segregation study usually cost? Uh, usually five to 15,000, depending on how big the property is. Uh, I think I've never paid anything less than 5,000. And the highest I paid was probably 18,000 uh, on a 20 story office building. Um, his second question is, how do you find a good firm to do one? Uh, just Google it. I mean, you can go with the national firms, but I use a local CPA firm in Irvine. Uh, I've used for past 15 years, but a lot of these guys will, will outsource it to a local company uh, that's local to the building, uh, where the building's located. So just Google it, I would say. Uh, Jonathan, are you hoarding cash at the moment? Send your, since you're expecting great deals soon, how do you keep your cash while waiting for deals and in the stocks uh, or other liquid investments, or do you just keep it in the bank ready to deploy? Well, I have a complicated situation. You guys probably going to get there someday, but you know I have uh, you know millions of dollars in a stock market. Uh, I have some in bonds, and then I do have a line of credit that I use against those uh, brokerage uh, positions. And then on top of that, I have a line of credit under my corporation, unsecured, that I tap into if I need to move quick on a deal, uh, much quicker than a bridge lender. But overall, yes, I have been raising money, but I have been putting it to work too. I bought the bear building for uh, bear property for $22 million. I just bought a $7.2 million 12-story high-rise cash uh, right before the end of the uh, year. So I do put the money to work, but it's a process of constantly doing cash out refinance, moving money, uh, and it's not one I would hoard cash and just wait. <laughs> Because cash is trash. <laughs> All right. Well, we're done with these questions. Uh, let me look on the sidebar. By the way, guys, Logan is out sick. Almost half of my staff is sick. So uh, excuse me if we're a little choppy here and there. But hopefully next week we'll get back to our regular sessions and routine with Logan reading the questions and helping me out here. Um, all right, so let me go down here and read your questions. We have probably room for one or two questions here. Uh, this is from Michael regarding historic buildings. If anyone is still bullish on historic buildings, there are opportunities for tax credits available to offset the cost of redevelopment, but it can be a lot of paperwork. I've done it personally. That's a great point, Michael. Um, yeah, there is a lot of tax incentive and motivation from the city's end to obviously uh, revive these buildings. But uh, again, like you say, it's very costly and very time consuming. So there is a lower hanging fruit by buying non-historic buildings, in my opinion. Um, let's read one more here. Uh, all right. This is from Facebook user. Sorry, I don't see your name. I have a question. Why is the price per, per pound? Uh, uh, retail asset generally so much higher than office assets or really any other asset class. For example, here in Texas, I see retail going for two to five hundred dollars per foot, whereas everything else is much lower than that on average. Well, one of the main reasons is uh, retail is a lot more in demand, right? And uh, sometimes you have credit tenants in retail, like a Starbucks, Subway. Um, 7-Eleven, those push your price per foot much higher. 
uh, where you don't have that scenario in office. Um, office, if uh, yeah, if you have a single credit tenant, it may push the price up. But generally, it's a lot of mom and pop uh, companies occupying office, uh, startups that doesn't give you a pop. But retail always has higher price per foot um, than office, in, in my opinion. Um, all right. Well, it's ten thirty. Uh, I'm still recovering. I'm hundred percent back, but as you can tell, you know, I still have a little bit of this, uh, brain fog <laughs> that comes with this darn virus. So uh, stay safe. Uh, uh, be careful out there. It's really crazy, but till next week, uh, be safe, be well, and see you guys next week. Thank you.